This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning, GYC. Happy Sabbath. It is a blessed opportunity to join you today for worshiping our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. The only place greater we could imagine being than here right now would be to be face-to-face before His throne in heaven. It's my prayer today that this will be the last GYC that we have to celebrate here on earth. Amen? Amen? But that the next GYC might be before His throne on the pearly sea of glass. Amen? How many of you have that prayer as well this morning? I want to thank you for being here. Thank those that are watching online around the world. And I want to give a special greeting to my family who are watching, my children and my father and mother and others that are watching as well. I appreciate that. And this week I have not been feeling very well. In fact, just Monday night I was in the emergency room. Uh, with vomiting and fever and flu and all kinds of things. And throughout this week, it's been up and down. I gave five seminars just yesterday and Friday. And I'll tell you, friends, that the power of God was present. When I needed His strength the most, it was there. And I heard this morning that more than a thousand people gathered into the prayer room and were asking God's blessing to be poured out. So I praise God today that all of you are here and I hope that you're prayed up because we're going to be studying the power of God's Word this morning. Amen? Are you ready for a Sabbath blessing today? Amen. Amen. The title of our message this morning is Remnant Surrender. And that's what we need to experience in our lives as God's people living in the last days. And before we go any farther, we're just going to ask the Lord's presence to be with us. So I would like to invite you to bow your heads, and I'm going to kneel this morning as we seek His blessing. Father in heaven, today we are so grateful to be in Your presence. Today, Lord, we would hide behind the cross. We would not yet, though, stand in its shadow but we would stand in its glorious light and truth. And we pray today, Father, that the Spirit of God would touch our hearts, that He would move upon us, and that Jesus would be seen and known, that we would experience the power of Your Spirit changing our hearts, bringing conviction, bringing uh, a change, a transformation that we so desperately need. And we pray, Father, today that we would not be the same people when we leave as when we came. Lord, I am not worthy to stand on this platform today. But by the power of your grace, it shall be so. And I pray, Lord, that you would hide this man behind your grace and your son, the Lord Jesus. That the people would see him today and not me. That all heaven would shine down. All heaven would look upon us this hour. And heaven would be gathered together in this place. But not just in the room, Lord, but in our hearts. And we ask your spirit now to come. 
and speak to us through the word of God, which is the Lord Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Let all God's people say, Amen. As Seventh-day Adventists, we have a rich heritage. Amen? As Seventh-day Adventists, we have held to the great Protestant Reformation, the theme of sola scriptura. We have built upon the great faith of men and women who have given their lives, who have given their hearts, who have given their wealth, who have given everything that they had to stand firm on a faith that we have cherished for centuries in the ages of darkness. This very year we celebrated the 500th year of the Protestant Reformation. And there was a call given from many world leaders to actually put an end to that Reformation. But as Seventh-day Adventists, we believe that the Reformation will not come into an end until the Lord Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven to take His people home. As an Adventist people, we have a specific biblical identity. We are not just another Protestant denomination within that Protestant Reformation. But we believe that we are the prophetic movement of of Bible prophecy that will bring a climax to that great Reformation. We believe as Seventh-day Adventists that we are just not another prophetic movement. But we are the remnant church of Bible prophecy. We are the final piece to the long puzzle of the great controversy that God is seeking to put in place to make the, compi- to make the picture complete. Amen. We believe in the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. We believe and have a strong understanding that the roots of our very existence are contained in Bible prophecy. In fact, in the book of Revelation chapter 10, we find the origin of this movement. Brothers and sisters, friends, today, the rise of the Seventh-day Adventist church in the course of human history is not a mere coincidence. But it was predicted and revealed in prophecy thousands of years before it began. We can be sure as Seventh-day Adventists today that we are God's movement for the last days. For the Bible says so. And the prophecies that we have preached as Adventists for the last 150 years are coming true before our very eyes. They are coming to pass like never before in earth's history. In the last five years, but especially in the last year, more prophetic events have taken place in our time than in any other course in history. We can be confident that what we have believed what we have pre- preached and what we have proclaimed is the truth because we see the Bible coming alive before our eyes. Every day in the newspapers we see it. Our prophetic message in many ways is no longer prophetic truth but present truth. What we have preached just 10 years ago we see happening now. I say all these things not boastfully but humbly Because to put it plainly, even though we have had these gifts of prophecy and truth in His church, we have it without any credit to ourselves. No man can boast in it. But I fear that we've fallen short in appreciating it in the way that we should. 
I fear that we've not been broken in humility at the great weight of responsibility that God has laid upon us to warn the world. I fear like that we are overindulged children. We have been selfish and arrogant in the way that we have dealt with the blessings that God has given His remnant church. We have had a mission as a people of destiny. Specifically in Revelation chapter 10 verse 11, the Bible tells us that we are to rise and prophesy again after the great disappointment which is speaking to our generation today. The Bible calls us to prophesy again to many people, nations, and tongues. We are called to carry a message to the whole world that will give the last great appeal for a broken world to receive Christ and prepare them for the second coming of Jesus. This is the three angels' message. And we are commissioned to carry Christ to those who know Him not and to carry the truth to others who know Him well. We are called to call the world out of Babylon, both in its pagan and its apostate Christian forms. We are challenged to call His remnant people out of false movements into His remnant church. God has remnant people in every church, amen? But He only has in every church, but he only has one remnant church. And yet somehow we have failed in our mission. Somehow, currently, we are failing in it. This somehow is not a mystery today. We are going to put our finger directly on it this morning. Part of it is that though we are called to call others out of Babylon, Babylon is alive and well in our own hearts. Before we can call a people out of Babylon, we have to allow God to remove Babylon out of our own lives. And it is sad, brothers and sisters, very sad, that the state of affairs in Babylon and the unity that they are experiencing is greater than that of God's remnant church. In fact, they are also, Babylon is also a prophetic movement. And it is fulfilling its prophetic destiny destiny currently much better than God's own people. And it is rapidly fulfilling its destiny. We are the remnant movement. Why are they fulfilling it? Because though we are the remnant church, the remnant movement, we are not living remnant lives. We're not fulfilling the fullness of our prophetic destiny. They understand their destiny. And they are moving in orchestrated unity to accomplish it. In fact, I believe that in many ways, God has restrained them because His people are not ready. God is calling today His remnant church to arise and shine. Babylon may arise. It may unite. But it does not shine. It does not shine with the light of heaven or the beauty of its truth. But God's people are called to arise and shine by possessing His character, His righteousness, and His truth. But God's people, however, one thing that we have in common with Babylon is that we are not shining either. At least to the fullness 
of our potential. This morning, we're going to discover the one thing that we're doing poorly. We're going to discover the one thing that is the answer to all other things. We're going to discover what it is that continues to plague God's people. And we're going to find the solution that will allow us to rise and shine like never before. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present to you as a ch- present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Friends, today. The answer to our troubles, the challenge to our weakness, is that we have forgotten the simplicity that is in the Lord Jesus. It seems that as a church, though we have had a clear truth, a clear mission, a clear purpose, we have somehow missed the simplicity of the righteousness of Christ to transform and empower our daily lives. Because although we've known the truth as a people, although we've had the doctrines of the last days, we have not been transformed. Our hearts have not been changed by the power and the simplicity of the Word of God that reveals Christ as a person to us. We have been a Scripture-based people since our existence. Amen? We have been a Sabbath-keeping people. We have been a second-coming, proclaiming people. But brothers and sisters, today, we have not been a surrendered, living people. We have not been called to simply preach the character and righteousness of Christ. But we have been called as a people to possess it. We have failed in our mission Because we have not been just called to carry Christ to the world, but to actually reveal Christ to the world. Through our lives, through our characters, through our persons. We have not yet seen God's glory arise and shine in us. Because we have not fully surrendered our hearts to receive His righteousness and character. And yet God, in His mercy... And the theme text of our conference, Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Before this can happen though, we must have an experience with the Spirit of God that transforms our lives. Go with me please to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to take a look at a passage that I believe directly correlates with our theme this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it's a passage that I believe that most of you are probably very familiar with. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to a young person named Timothy. 
Now Timothy, many of you can identify with because Timothy was a young man growing up in the church. We know that he was at least a third generation Christian because Paul speaks about his mother and his grandmother who taught him the scriptures. Timothy was a faithful young man. Most of you in this room can identify with Timothy. He was a young person. He was raised in the church and he strove to be faithful and true. He would have loved GYC, amen? He would have loved to have been here. In fact, if he was here today, I would sit down and let him preach. Timothy was a wonderful young man and God spoke to him through the Apostle Paul. Paul tells Timothy in verse 10, he says of chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3 verse 10, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them the Lord delivered me. The Bible tells us, dear friends, that as Christians we are going to suffer persecution. In the book, Great Controversy, we're told that the reason God's church today does not experience persecution is because it is not living the lives that God has called us to live. And if we were to live that kind of a life, like the early church lived, that the sword of persecution would arise again. The reason today that the unbelieving world will mock God's church and mock God's people is because there is no power of God in our lives because we are living a form of godliness but denying its power but Paul tells Timothy he goes on and he says in verse 14 verse 13 but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse deceiving and being seized friends are we not seeing that in today's world are we not seeing that even in the church today He goes on and says that despite all of these things, despite the difficulties that God's church may face, despite the persecution that God's church may face, despite the deception and the apostasy that might creep in through individuals who are led astray, he says this one thing, and this must be the theme of our hearts today, if God is going to call us to arise. Verse 14, he says, But you must continue. You must do what, everyone? You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul urges Timothy in the early days when he was about himself to depart from the earth, when he understood through visions that the Lord had given him that things would creep in, apostasy would come in after he was gone. He urges Timothy to continue in the word which first set him free. And as a movement of people today, as God's final people on whom he's going to arise and shine, I'm appealing to you today that we also must continue in that which He has given us at the beginning. The Word of God 
which reveals the truth and the person of Christ must be our anchor in these last days. Verse 15, he speaks and says that the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise. By the way, he's speaking of which text, which, uh, which scriptures is he speaking about? He's speaking about the Old Testament. Now, of course, it applies to the New Testament as well. But the beauty of the Old Testament is that if that's all we had, you could find faith, you could find wisdom, you can find salvation, and you can find Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures. Amen? We're not a New Testament church. We're not an Old Testament church. We're a Bible church. Amen? We believe in the truth of God's Word. He continues on and says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. We know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And I'm going to say this because of the dangers that are creeping in to our church today. If all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and the Holy Spirit is not a person, the third person of the Godhead, then the Bible cannot be a living document. It cannot be truly the revelation of Christ, but it is just a book of an impersonal force that has no relevance for us today. We believe in the three-person Godhead as a church. Amen? We believe in the truth of the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ to us and change our lives. We believe that He's a real person. We believe that He is the revealer of truth and that He convicts our hearts. No force can bring the personal conviction and comfort to our hearts unless He's truly a person of the Godhead. Amen? Verse 17, I'm sorry, he says, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine. You see, friends, the word of God has the power to transform our lives. Yes or no? It has the power to allow the righteousness of Christ to cover us. I remember there's this man named John. A number of years ago, I was doing a meeting in Alabama for my father-in-law's church. And this man came to the meetings and he didn't know how to read, but he knew what the Bible said because every night his wife would read to him the scripture. She would speak to him and she would read chapters at a time. And he came in to me and he said, the very first night of the meetings, he said, listen, preacher, I'm here to tell you something. I said, I'm listening. And he said, if I hear one thing come out of your mouth, that is not in harmony with the Bible. He says, I'm telling you now that me and my family will get up and leave. And I said, brother, I hope you do. And I hope you tell everyone else that they should leave too. That brother came the next night. He came the next night and the next night. And he came every night throughout the series. At the end of the meetings, he and his wife were baptized. Later, his son was baptized. A little later, his other son was baptized. A little, uh, some time after that, he began to learn to read by using the Bible. It wasn't long before he was up on the platform doing the scripture reading. And then several months after that, he preached his first sermon. 
The Bible taught the man how to read. And now he reads fluently and he's a deacon in the church, a faithful man of God. This is what the power of God's Word will do for our lives today. Amen? I want to read a quote for you from the book Christian Education, page 118. The Bible is the only rule of faith and doctrine. There is nothing more calculated to energize the mind and strengthen the intellect than the study of the Word of God. No other book is so potent to elevate the thoughts, to give vigor to the faculties, as the broad and overling truths of the Bible. If God's Word were studied as it should be, men would have a breadth of mind, a nobility of character, and a stability of purpose that is rarely seen in these times. If you want those qualities today, friends, you need to spend time studying God's Word. Amen? Amen. Too often we are taking these little one-page devotionals or watching these little two or three minute devotional videos and we are lacking a true experience in the Word of God. We are lacking deep Bible study in our lives. We are lack that leads us to repentance and confession of our sin. And our hearts are paying the price because of it. Because we go further and further away from God's ideal in our lives. But if we will make it our work to draw near to Him in the Word, He will transform us. He goes on in verse 16. He says that the Word of God is profitable for what? For doctrine. As Seventh-day Adventists, we have one creed. And what is it, friends? We have the Bible as our creed. We believe that the whole Bible is inspired. We believe that our doctrine is true. In fact, Jesus gives rebuke to the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, many of them because of their doctrine. But to the last church, the church of Laodicea, He gives no doctrinal rebuke because our doctrines are true. They are the remnant doctrines. We have never had a problem with our doctrines. Recently, we have a, many people have problems with them, but in and of themselves, they are pure and true. Amen. But the doctrine of the Seventh-day Adventist church has not been the problem. The rebuke to the Laodicean church is not for doctrine, but because of the condition of their hearts. In our preaching and teaching, if the power of Christ is not revealed through the doctrine, it becomes dry as a bone. The work of God's Spirit must transform us through the messages we preach. You see, friends, it's possible to be a strict vegan and act like an animal. It's possible to eat very clean and act like a pig. And you can preach the Sabbath. You can preach the second coming. You can preach the sanctuary. But if your heart is not connected to the Christ that gave the doctrine, then your life will be as filthy as a pig that you refrain from eating. It's possible to be on the righteous side of hell but on the wrong side of heaven. 
If the Christ who gave the doctrine isn't changing the heart to live above the carnal flesh of our natural nature, then we have made the grave sin of separating Christ from His truth. We must defend the truth from apostasy, but we must also be transformed by apostolic love for those who disagree with us, those who slander us, or those who openly attack us. Whether you view yourself on the conservative side of Adventism or on the liberal side of Adventism, it doesn't really matter. If we do not love as Christ loved while maintaining the truth, it's all in vain. You see, the world church still has authority because of the pureness of our doctrine. The world church still has authority. Satan lost his authority in heaven because he went contrary to God's word. Adam and Eve lost Eden for the same reason. The world was lost to the flood because it went contrary to the word of God. Saul lost his kingdom to David because of the same. The reason in the book of Acts that the church had authority and powers because it remained faithful to God's word and its voted actions. The world church today, the general conference in session, has not taken a vote that has gone directly contrary to the word of God. Therefore, it still has spiritual and ecclesiastical authority as a body that God's people should submit to as long as it remains faithful to the word. We need to support our world church because of the doctrine that unites us is pure and true. He goes on and he says, it is profitable for doctrine and for rebuke. If you turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And the Bible speaks to us very loud and clear. He says... For the word of God, in verse 12, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When you open the word of God, and you read and understand the truth there, when you open the word of God, you come face to face with the living Christ who begins to speak to your soul. And as you see that which is true and ideal in God's Word, it begins to reveal what is untrue and unideal in your own life. And the beauty of the Word of God is that it knows every excuse. It knows every uh, uh, motivation. It knows every secret thing in your heart. And it reveals it. And it lays us bare before a living God who is holy, just, and righteous. And we see ourselves as we really are. And we see Him for who He really is. And we realize the great depth of chasm that is between us and Him. But oh, dear friends, the mercy of God to us today. To give us a rebuke. You see, friends, we don't need cool, catchy phrases or entertaining preachers. We just need the straight, untainted, naked truth to speak to our minds and our hearts to call us to repentance and transform our lives. Isaiah 60 verse 2 says, 
For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. There's been a lot of darkness in the journey of our church. There's a lot of darkness today in the church. I don't want to speak to some of that just now. Many of us, instead of allowing the Word of God to cut our hearts, we have ourselves upon Adventist culture. For many of us, like Esau in the house of Isaac, we've been raised in the truth, but have not allowed the truth to transform us. We have taken advantage of the benefits of Adventist culture that God has blessed with, but we've used it for our own selfish gratification. Similar to the cup of soup that symbolized the appetite and flesh of the world that Esau sold his birthright for. Some of us have sold our birthrights. Some of us are sold our blessing for much less than a cup of soup. Some of you today are going to medical school or nursing school or business school or some kind of professional in which you're going to be very influential in the world. You're probably going to make a lot of money. And so I've spoken to many young people and they've said, I'm going into this business because I want to make a lot of money. I want to live that kind of a lifestyle. But let me tell you, friends, God has not called you to that kind of a lifestyle. If He has placed you in such a position, He expects that you be a servant to His cause. He has not called you to live within your means. He's not called you to live a worldly, luxurious lifestyle. But He has called you to live within your needs and then to use your means to further His cause. At the end of the day, we often make an idolatry out of academics. We have to get our degrees and make our money. Some of you, God has called into missionary service. All of you, He's called into missionary service. Some of you, He's called into full-time service. And you run away from it because you're chasing the world. And you're constantly looking over your shoulder to see if He's following. And He is following because He wants you to turn your life around. And He wants you to give yourself wholeheartedly to Him. Some of you... I've told your parents you want to go and serve in a missionary service. And when you told your parents that, they had a fit. And they said, what are you talking about? You need to get your degree. You need to get that job. You need to make that money. But God has called you to something more than that today. God has called you to something greater than that. We've adopted as we have progressed and relying upon Adventist culture Now it seems that coming into the church is the world's culture. We've relied upon our Adventist culture and our heritage until now the world has crept in. And as we've become weak in the Word, we've been caught up in various social movements that have caused strife and contentions. Why? Because no social justice movement can change the human heart. Social justice movements have their place, but they are certainly not the gospel. Only the gospel can change your heart. If social justice alone could solve the world's problems, then Jesus would have allowed His disciples to crown Him King. The gospel is the greatest solution, friends, to social injustice. 
a transformed heart. You will never solve racism, social or economical justice, injustice without the purity of the gospel changing the life. We've often, through our culture, become reliant upon the ever-changing and degrading culture of Western society for our values and ideals. We've, rather than the timeless principles of God's Word, we've leaned upon personal narratives or momentary emotions about sensitive topics. We think that if someone shares a story about their journey or about their experience, that somehow it becomes leveled with the same authority as the Word of God. This has caused a lot of confusion among young people today. But let me tell you what, friends. No biography, personal journey, or experience should deviate our focus from the truth of God's Word and change us no matter what journey we've had. It doesn't matter how we were born. We can be born again. I love that. I want to be born again. Amen? Amen. We must love. We must be compassionate. We must sympathize. But we must point people to the Savior who's able to transform the depths of their souls. It's not social culture that drives us, whether it be Western culture, American culture, or Seventh-day Adventist culture, but it must be heaven's culture. And the pure ways of heaven's culture are contained in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy today. The cultural mindset has led to a big change that's occurred in the church where we went from serving the church to wanting the church to serve us. You are the church. So if you're waiting for the church to serve you, you have entered into idolatry because you're worshiping yourself. The popularity of American culture does not trump the Word of God. Colossians 2 verse 8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. When men choose to have their own way without seeking counsel from God, this is from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 605, or in opposition to His revealed will, He often grants their desires in order that through the bitter experience that follows, he may, they may be led to realize their folly and repent of their sin. Human pride and wisdom will prove a dangerous guide that which the heart desires contrary to the will of God will in the end be found a curse rather than a blessing. And how often, too many of us, when that happens, we want to blame God Himself for the problems we've gotten ourselves into. If Jesus today is interceding 24-7 for you, then He expects us to be receiving His power 24-7 and to be Christians 24-7. How we respond to the trials of our faith say much more about our characters than it does His. We've loved comfort. We come to GYC and we get addicted to the environments. We like the nice hotels. We like the good meals. But if we slept in barns and had to have a bowl of rice per day, as some do around the world who have such meetings, 
How many of us would still come? Compromise to promote comfort declines spirituality. We cannot afford to live comfortably at the expense of spirituality because God's calling on our lives cannot be compromised by our comfort or our pleasure. We need to stop trying to feel good and rather choose good. As it was said by the great C.H. Spurgeon, there are no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers on earth. We live in a time when people want to take away the cross that Christ has called us to bear rather than challenging people and encouraging them to carry it. We often deal with desanctification, I call it, where when we come into the church, we saw the beauty and the spirit of grace that transformed our lives. And we were walking in the purity and the, the blessedness of fellowship with God. But as we ceased to watch and pray, things began to shift in our lives without us even realizing it. And the things that were once precious to us, the things that were once, once important to us, the truths that we bore in our hearts began to slowly erode away. And before we know it, we become indifferent to this thing and that thing. And we begin to compromise in our lives. And the church becomes irrelevant to us. And we think to ourselves we need to leave it. We've been enthralled. We've been enamored with the peril of novelty. We want what's new. But God says, you don't need what's new. You need what is needed. And God is not going to give us anything new until we've done what He's already said. Hypocrisy. Many people talk about hypocrisy. You see, hypocrisy is not a problem in the church. It's a problem in our hearts. And many people say, well, you know, my parents, they, they did this and they did that and, and, and they weren't faithful and, and they would act one way at church and one way at home. So therefore, I'm going to leave the church. I don't need the church. Well, the reality is this. If you understood enough truth to recognize that they were hypocritical and you leave the church because they were hypocritical, then that also makes you a hypocrite. Why? Because if you know the truth and reject it because someone else is not following it, then that doesn't allow you to escape. You are also a hypocrite. If you know the truth, live it. Amen? If you know the truth, surrender yourself to Christ. And one other point of darkness is straight-up worldliness that we have engaged in. Social media, some of us post Adventist lingo or church politics on Facebook like we didn't have any non-Adventist or non-Christian friends. You think you're going to draw people into the church that way, you're fooled. Others post things on there like they've never heard of Christ or Adventism, even though we've supposed to have known Him our whole lives. Some of us are caught up in sports or fashion or competition in various ways or false relationships, relationships with a young man or young woman that we shouldn't find ourselves in. All kinds of worldliness. And Jesus rebukes us for it all. 
But He rebukes us because of His tender love for us and His desire for us to be saved. You see, there are two kinds of sin. Those that are acceptable and those that are unacceptable. How do we know the difference? The acceptable ones are mine. The unacceptable ones are yours. But aren't you thankful that God doesn't leave us there? Though He gives the rebuke in the same verse, He says, the Word of God is also profitable for correction. For what, everyone? For correction. You see, God doesn't want to just rebuke us. He wants to correct us. How many of you are thankful for that? Isaiah 60, verse 2, He says, But the Lord will arise over you and His glory will be seen upon you. Though we've been in sin, He's going to arise us. He's going to call us out. I want to share share with you Testimonies, Volume 2, page 453. None are so low, so corrupt and vile that they cannot find in Jesus who died for them strength, purity, and righteousness. If they will put away their sins, cease their course of iniquity, and turn with full purpose of heart to the living God, He is waiting to strip them of their garments, stained and polluted by sin, and put on them the white robes of righteousness. And He bids them live and not die. In Him they may flourish. Their branches will not wither or be fruitless. If they abide in Him, they can draw sap and nourishment from Him, be imbued with His Spirit, walk as He walked, overcame as He overcame, and be exalted to His own right hand. I'll tell you a story today. 2009, I had cancer. I almost died. Several of you know that story. God worked a miracle in my life. I don't have time to tell that story today, but He He basically resurrected me from the dead. I've had cancer twice. I've had a skin cancer and I've had the other cancer, a terrible blood infection. But when God miraculously saved me, I was so grateful. I was so happy. And I thought to myself, surely God has raised me up and saved me because He wants me to preach His truth. He wants me to preach His Word, His message. And then one day I was sitting at home at my desk in my office and I came across this letter that Ellen White had written to a man. And she said to him, he had had a very similar experience as I. He had laid on his deathbed. And she says, God was merciful to you to raise you up from the dead. She said, God healed you. She says, but you have thought that God was merciful to you because of some righteousness that was found in you. And then she told him that the true reason God made you well was because you were unprepared to die. She said to the man, Satan stood by your bedside ready to take your life. And God in His abundant mercy rescued you to give you another chance to cling to Him and Him alone, to make the full surrender of your life. She said, do not waste it. Do not waste it. And friends, let me tell you, when I read that letter, I wept and was broken before the Lord for more than two hours. I cried at my desk 
recognizing that there was no good thing in me that I could recommend to him, but that I could only trust in his righteousness. The 1893 General Conference session was one of the greatest sessions in the history of Adventism. Many appeals were made. And this is the correction that as a church in our pride and in our arrogance that we need. 18 Jones made the statement, Our goodness, our wisdom, our ability are nothing. Ellen White says that if we are to praise brilliance, if you're to, to, to praise the celebrity speakers, the brilliance of how someone delivers the message, she says if we're to praise brilliance as a great virtue, then we should give our homage to Satan because he is the greatest brilliant mind outside of God himself. Our goodness, wisdom, our ability are nothing, but God can work and will work with a heart that is emptied of self, a heart that has made no reserve, and one that is yielded all to God and laid upon His altar. We must repent of our works that we have attempted in our own strength. Brothers and sisters, not just our bad works, not just the losing of our tempers, not just the overindulgences, not just all the things, the secret sins that we've done, but we must also repent of our good works that we have done in our own strength. There are lots of people doing great things in their own strength. But they are at a loss of laying a hold of divine strength. And friends, we must repent of even our good works because if Jesus had have done them through us, they would have been a thousand times better. Infinitely better. A permanent sense of unworthiness by looking to Christ, recognizing His goodness to make us worthy. Repentance and confession are the only ways out of sin and darkness. W.W. Prescott made this statement. He said, what can I say about this? These things are as plain as ABC, that righteousness is the gift of God, that all in the world He asks us to do is submit to the receiving of it, to open the door to confession, repentance, and closing every door to Satan by accepting him in his simplicity. I find this interesting that at the greatest general conference session where the latter rain was almost beginning to be poured out, that A.T. Jones in his final appeal made this statement. He said, the righteousness of God upon his people is the one thing, the only thing that can fit up God's people for receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of it. And when that message is received and accepted gladly, God tells you and me, guess what, friends? Arise, shine, for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. The same appeal that was made there is made here today. That the righteousness of Christ would be our only plea. That only as we become like little children with genuine humility and sincere honesty about ourselves and our own failings individually and as a church can God truly bring healing to our lives. I remember a couple of years ago I was with my son and he was about three years old at that time. And there was a particular 
sin that I was wrestling with, that I was tempted with, and my son was in the room, and I thought to myself, it was very difficult for me to resist. And it was just one of those moments that, you know, we all have. And that, over, that temptation was overwhelming. And I thought to myself, but, but your son is right here. He's going to see it. And I thought to myself, you know, he won't see it. It won't impact him. And just as I was about to surrender my will to the enemy, I was, I was, I was reaching out my hand to hand him my will. And my little three-year-old son began to sing a song. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. He loves me. For the Bible tells me so. God's desire is to set us free from everything in our life that would hinder us from giving ourselves totally to Him. And a person will truly understand righteousness by faith when they realize that it's their only hope. And for you and I today, both individually and collectively as a church, it is our only hope. We must not only be saved from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin before we can be face-to-face with God free from the presence of sin. God is not just in the business of redeeming us, but He actually wants to restore His image and character in us. And in that way, we will become complete. And in Timothy, verse 17, back in 2 Timothy 3, 17, He says... All these things, the instruction in righteousness, the correction, the reproof, that the man of God may be what, friends? Perfect or complete and be fully equipped for every good work. In this final movement of earth's history, we must continue in the Word of God that reveals the righteousness of Christ to us. And we must daily exercise our faith in Jesus so that we can develop the faith of Jesus. Not just for a transformation for our own hearts, but for the transformation of God's church. Isaiah 60 verse 3, when this takes place, God then says, The Gentiles shall come to your light. The kings to the brightness of your rising. Dear friends, today, I want to appeal with this quote and then I'm going to tell you a story. Testimonies, volume 8, verse, page 250. Unless the church, which is now being leavened with her own backsliding, shall repent and be converted... She will eat of the fruit of her own doing until she shall abhor herself. When she resists the evil and chooses the good, when she seeks God with all humility and reaches her highest calling in Christ, standing on the platform of eternal truth, by faith laying hold of the attainment prepared for her, she will be healed. 
She will appear in her God-given simplicity and purity, separate from earthly entanglements, showing that the truth has made her free indeed. Then her members will be the chosen of God, His representatives. We are told in a certain passage that you know very well, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive and heal their land, forgive their sin and heal their land. Friends, we have pondered it. We have preached it. We have prayed about it. We have played with it. But are we ready now to practice it? We are the remnant people, the remnant movement, with the remnant truth, but we need a remnant surrender. If we do not have this experience, then we will die in the wilderness like all the generations before us. And as my wife, my precious wife comes to sing, I'm going to tell a story and then I'm going to make an appeal to you this morning. My good friend John, when I was at Amazing Facts, he was one of our AFCO students. He was a wonderful guy, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. I just talked to him last night. John was caught up in gangs and drugs and alcohol and a terrible life. He was always carrying a gun, fearing that he may have to kill at any time just to save himself. But God delivered him out of that and brought him to a wonderful experience with himself. Following that, he came to AFCO, and then he went to be a Bible worker. But as it would happen, John began to fall away from Jesus, and he began to go back to his own lifestyle. He began to go back into drugs. He got back involved with a gang, and he, was a, he just bought a gun to begin selling drugs again. This happened just last year. When he was at a party, he met this guy, he'd never met him before. And this guy invited him out back to do drugs with him. So he went out back and John told the man, he said, just wait right here for a minute. He said, I'm going to go over here and, and he needed to use the bathroom. And he says, and I'll be right back. When John went over to this other spot, it was dark. A gang came out of the shadows and they began to confront John and they began to beat him up. The other man saw what was happening and ran over to try to help John. When he did, they turned their wrath upon him and they began to beat him down to the ground and they stabbed him more than 20 times and the man died. And then they left. John was left in mercy alive. Later, when John recovered from it, he recognized that the man who had taken his place, his name was Jesus, Jesus. And he realized that because of my sin, because of my falling away, because of my backsliding, this man had to die and he took my place. And all of a sudden, the reality of what Jesus had done for him became alive for him like never before. And it broke his heart. 
And he came back to the church and he was just baptized last month. Rebaptized. Do you realize today, friends, what it really means for Jesus to take your place? Do you really mean and understand the price that was paid for your eternal salvation? Do you realize the price that was paid? Do you recognize today the condition of your heart and that it is a heart of stone? Do you recognize today that we need a new heart? We got no problems with the doctrine. We got no problems with the truth. But we got a problem with our own heart and Jesus points it to it today and He says it must be changed if you are not to die in the wilderness. Today I'm going to make an appeal We must arise, but in the righteousness of Christ alone. And as my wife sings today, I'm going to make three appeals. Number one, there may be those of you who have not been here all week, but God, but you've been here today and God is speaking to your heart and He wants to transform your life. And you've never been baptized, or you've been baptized and you've been fallen away, and you've fallen away, and you recognize that you need the righteousness of Christ. You're tired of relying upon yourself, and you must depend upon Him and Him alone. If it's your desire to be baptized, then you just come right up here to the to my left, your right, and they're going to speak to you and scan your badge so that they can know who you are and follow up with that. My second appeal is this, that there are those of you who have run away from the call of God all your life. You've run away from His call to missionary service, either full-time or, 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 or part-time. And God is calling you today to stop running away and start running towards Him. And you say, God, today I answer the call to service. I want those good works of Christ to be done in me, not my own strength, but His. Today you want to repent of those works from the past and your own strength and you want the renewed strength of God in your life. I'm going to invite you to come up to my right and your left and there will be folks here that will speak to you. And my third appeal today is for those who say, Lord God, I need a new heart. I need renewed by the Spirit of God. I need a transformed life. And God, I can't do it on my own. I can only do it through you. And I want to give all. I want to lay all on the altar. I want a true experience and understanding that Jesus paid it all. I want the church to be transformed. I want the church to be alive and it starts with me. And if that's you, you can come down to the center and we're going to pray. Three appeals, baptism to my left, ministry to my right, transformed lives and hearts to the center as my dear wife sings.
Father in heaven, save us from ourselves, in spite of ourselves. May the glory of the Lord shine upon us. May He arise in our hearts, and may our lives take on the righteousness and the character of Jesus, that we might shine for You, that the glory of Your presence may fill the earth, that Your people may be ready for the call that you have upon their lives to speak your word to a world that's dying and perishing that needs to know of the God who loves them so. Father, arise. Come now upon your people. Let your spirit fall. And may we be changed, O Lord, for eternity. 
now and forever. We plead with you that the glory of our own selves may be laid in the dust and the glory of God would be supreme in our hearts today. This is our prayer now. And we ask it in the precious, sweet name of Jesus. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.